Welcome back to Mox Madness. Oh, we are back. We are doing it again. Doing it again. Welcome back to Mark's Madness Pod. We read books, particularly on this series. We're reading Kwame Nkrumah's Neocolonialism. Uh, but that being said, my name is Nathan. My name's David. And we will be starting this week, as we start most weeks, with a brief tour of current events. And on this day, uh, January 9th, 2022, there is uh, one overarching current event uh, <laughs> that... Uh, <laughs> Or at yeah. least one very large current. I mean, there's all the current events. There's, there's still COVID. There's more. There's yeah. There's two. There's another. There's a bunch of COVID stuff we need to get into. But there is. There's a world. <laughs> well, well, it's yeah, changed we from talk last about, week where it's still just awful and we burn it all down. What are you? It's it's it's. I think it's worse than the five day shit. Yeah, it's because we're gonna have to talk about the the astroturf campaign against the teachers union. Yeah. All right. Um, well, let's do a yeah. very quick. David, you have you have a two minute timer on COVID talk. Go. No, wait, wait. Let's <laughs> not start with that. Don't do that to me. I'm doing it. I to want you. to focus. No, 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 no. Let's start with Kazakhstan. All right. Kazakhstan? All right. Let's start. All right. Let's start where we where where with the large geopolitical event of the day right now, which is yes. again on January 9th, twenty twenty two. That is the revolution. Throws hands up. Not sure. A lot of stuff going on there uh, in Kazakhstan. Uh, and for that, I turn it over to geopolitics expert David. Yes. Don't call me that. I just God did. Ah. Uh, all right. So anyway. Um, Basically, there's a, for people that are not aware of it, there's a situation going down in Kazakhstan where this was right after the new year. Okay, um, there there have been protests that have been leading up to this, right? A um, little bit of of, of brief overview, uh, Kazakh history and, and geography here. Okay, Kazakhstan obviously was a, a Soviet um, SSR, right? Um, and Basically, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the last president of Kazakhstan, Nazarbayev, who had been president um, five years, um, basically went into being uh, president of Kazakhstan under its new constitution in 93 after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Okay. Um, and there was another constitution shortly after that in 95 where the, the power was a little more centralized to, to Nazarbayev. And it was one of those former Soviet republics that had been stripped from neoliberalism. You know, I mean, the World Bank and the IMF have been having their way. Corporations had gotten in there. Um, you have everyone from Chevron on, on down that, that had had their greedy paws on it. Um, you know, and, and all of these, there, there's still public works, right? There's still state-owned institutions. In fact, there's several uh, that block out Western imperialism. And then there's several state-owned institutions that have private contracts. Okay. Um, where, of course, there's accusations of corruption for decades. Um, and, you know, you see other former Soviet socialist republics that collapsed into all-out fascism. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you've seen, like, Ukraine, right? And that since the Maiden protests... Um, you've seen Poland, you've seen other, other, um, former Eastern Bloc and, and such republics that have evolved in fascism. And, and Kazakhstan has not done that. Okay. But this is not like, you know, Turkmenistan with the, the, um, you know, immense natural gas resources. Um, this is not like Belarus where it had been, had a lot of things, especially in the energy sector privatized, but there was still some holdover. 
from the, the socialism. You know, there was some of the leadership in place, and there's still a lot of publicly owned industries, but this has been a very liberalized economy, okay, since the mid-90s. And energy has been a struggle worldwide, uh, both with, you know, COVID <clears throat> taking down workers um, and as overblown as the supply chain stuff is, uh, energy has been an immense struggle because of the emergence of crypto, right? It's just absolutely destroyed the energy market. And so you mix COVID and crypto and energy is just an issue basically everywhere except China, right? Yeah. Um, this is the, the part where I China. interrupt David to say a random fact about Kazakhstan. It is the yeah. world's largest Muslim majority country by land area. Back to you, David. Yes, um, and it is huge. It is, it is as wide as um, it's wider than the Mississippi River to the west coast of the United States. It's wider than that. It would basically, if you went from the west coast of the United States, you'd get into Indiana. It right? is the ninth and, and largest country in the it's world. Huge. It's it's an enormous country, right? And it borders like nine other countries, right? It, it's going to border, you know, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, but it's also Russia's largest border. And it's in between Russia and China, right? Um, it's the only country besides Mongolia that is basically directly in between Russia and China. And so it is a huge geopolitical, like, strategic location. And because of that, you know, it entered in with Russia into the CSTO, which is kind of the new Warsaw, semi-Warsaw Pact. Um, not necessarily a bunch, you know, socialist nations, but just former Soviet and Eastern Bloc nations. So you've got, you know, Belarus, you've got... Um, Kazakhstan, you've got Russia and, and these countries basically defending themselves, right, from from Western imperialism militarily. Um, but they're only supposed to, you know, provide security for each other, right? Well, as this energy crisis has been barreling worse and worse and worse, you've seen rising costs of that. And there was an announcement that in January, early January, at the turn of the new year, um, some of the regulations, some of the sub um, subsidies to keep energy costs down on the, the poor citizens of Kazakhstan were being lifted, right? I mean, it was just difficult to keep managing those subsidies. And so you've seen protests in November and December. And again, I don't want to fetishize peaceful protests. Um, if people are angry and they, they uprise and, and they want to take over, you know, let them, right? Let them riot. But nonetheless, there were peaceful protests at the end of last year. Right after the new year turned, all of a sudden there were what began as people protests, and you could see revolutionary action being a thing here, right? And things broke out into huge amounts of violence and disarray threatening the country, okay? Um, now, again, I, I mentioned Nazarbayev uh, earlier. He had been president since he was the last president of the uh, uh, Kazakhstan uh, so Soviet Socialist Republic. Um, he stepped down as president after some protests in 2019. And, uh, so now you have Takayev as president now, but Nazarbayev was still the leader of the Security Council, right? So basically, you know, behind closed doors, he essentially still had the power. And there's been a lot of difficult to disseminate information flying around since the beginning of this, okay? Um, some things I noticed that make it seem organic, make it seem genuine, make it seem like it's it's a people's uprising, have been that it started in the poor regions 
uh, the demands in one set of demands that I had seen, which were typed out and they were definitely, you know, in, in Kazakh language and everything, um, were economic demands, you know, um, stop the privatization of state industries. There was some confusion where some people saw that and it looked like it said stop all state industries and that was just a bad translation. But, you know, stop um, the privatization of state in- industries. Uh, you know, subsidize the, the energy cost. I mean, there was about 10 demands and they were all very, very economic. That said, where these demands came from was not really sourced from what I'd seen. You know, it's a general just of like, this is from protesters, but like, what protesters? Who? Who's demanding this, right? Who's the group running these protests? Who's heading this up? Which we know there's no such thing as a spontaneous protest. Even spontaneous protests are organized by groups. Even if it's a series of groups, they're still organized by groups. It takes a lot of hard work to make protests happen. If people haven't realized that after 2020, I, I don't know when people will ever realize that. There's no such thing as just as magical, spontaneous protests. It takes hard work for these protests to happen. And no groups seem to be claiming responsibility. Okay? Uh, which was probably the first kind of troubling sign, I'd say. Um but nonetheless, you know, I mean, these were economic demands of, of what we'd seen there, right? And these color revolutions, you don't normally see economic demands. You see very political demands, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they'll talk about, like, freedom and democracy and and things like that. Esoteric really ideas about. esoteric ideas that appeal to Western media and Western audiences. Exactly, exactly. And and, and talk about tyranny and, and oppression and, and stuff like that. It never talks about, like, like um, you know, coming down on the poor and, and needing relief from energy costs, uh, which is what fueled the protests in the first place, right? Now, um, that said, Takayev did announce that the subsidies would continue after the protests started. Also, Takayev, because there were some rumors that Nazarbayev had been kind of, you know, a little in bed with, with some Western powers and, you know, Almaty collapsed conspicuously easily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um to the protests and there was uh, especially the airport and there was some belief that like Nazarbayev had just let that happen you know I mean there could be people like okay the you know people power is rising too much and the people in the the military forces sympathize with the people um, because it's it's a good uprising and it collapses there's also like you know Nazarbayev going hey just let them take the airport you know and that kind of thing right but and that's a, a suspicious one because that's an easy way to start suddenly getting outside forces in if you control the airport right yeah and so nazarbayev was removed as the leader of the security council and Takayev, as uh president took that over right um this was at the same time as as announcing um the the continued subsidies after that um that's when russia started sending in uh under the csto security forces just a small number and they said they would, you know, defend military bases and military equipment, things like that, right? And that's what they've done. But that is effectively, you know, helping put down a protest. And again, you know, no value statement there. We're talking about putting down a protest. That doesn't mean the protest is good or bad or whatever. But if you are guarding certain things that are important to a military, that's allowing those military forces then to push themselves where they need to be to put down the protest. So maybe you're not directly putting down the protest, but you're freeing up the resources to do it. You're still helping put that down. You get a primary assist on putting down the protests. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This is a hockey podcast. Um, (laughs) This is a hockey podcast. Um, So, you know, that was happening. And of course, again, we've talked about the geostrategic area of Kazakhstan. 
Also, uh, there was some mixed messages like, you know, the Kazakh communist was saying things like, yeah, you know, this definitely seems like a, a people uprising, but but we're worried. And, and they like put out a statement that was like multiple paragraphs, but like one of them was like, yeah, but we're also worried about outside interference. Um, and then China came in and was like denouncing outside interference in there, which was one of the things also that, that made me worry that it was a little more um, color revolution facing. And then the scariest thing I saw, right was Nexta. Uh, Nexta, there was a set of demands that appeared on Nexta that sounded like Color Rev type demands. Now, people who aren't familiar with uh, Nexta, that's uh, Protosevich's um, little channel, um, right? Um, and for people that don't know, you know, Roman Protosevich, he was one, again, you know, through Nexta. This, he's a, a Belarusian... Um, activist i guess opposition i you can call anybody an activist but like very western back right um mm-hmm. definitely you know color rev guy uh, he was in bed with azov did a lot of did a lot of pro azov and frontline azov stuff uh with um azov battalion during the euro maiden protests and since then um, during the war on the donbass and basically nexta was given the euro maiden protesters instructions <laughs> Yeah. That was kind of how it worked. Yeah. And Nexta doesn't cover a lot of protests and things like that, right? It is very focused in Ukraine and Belarus. So to see it suddenly covering these protests and everywhere it was covering these protests, they were like, you know, say the same Mercedes Benz showing up and dropping weapons out of the trunk. It's like, oh, that's concerning. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and again, you know, it. it I don't know which demands were real demands, where leadership was, who's leading this, but the demands that appeared on Nexta were very like, you know, end ties with Russia, which it's like, oh, Mm. that's, yeah, that's a little bit like, you know, Western, like, you know, fuck that shit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a situation that it has a lot of dynamics to it. it. To me, it doesn't seem as much like, you know, Belarus in 2020 or um, Ukraine in 2014, uh, so much as something between uh, Lebanon in, was that 2020 or 2021 after the, the port explosion? Uh, um, I want to say that was early with, 2021. Yeah, um, where there was suddenly a bunch of protests and they, they were definitely genuine. And then Nasrallah had to, to come out and be like, yeah, so these started genuine and we backed the people, but look out for the CIA agents, and it was very clearly, like, engulfed by the CIA, right? I was very wrong. Like I was that. very wrong. It was August of 2020 was the Beirut explosion. I apologize. Okay. Okay. Well, shortly after the Beirut explosion, remember, there's a huge series of protests, and they mm-hmm. seemed organic and, and like, something that, that would be backed. And, and, you know, Hezbollah leaders were like, yeah, we back the people, but be careful because there's a lot of CIA shit going on. And then, you know... Shortly after that, Lebanon basically gave the government control pretty explicitly to France. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this seems kind of, you know, in between that and, you know, what had happened in Syria between 2011 and 2014. Um, it seems a little bit in that range. If it is a color rev, which it, there's some scary signs, but definitely a lot of the ties are from the people that put well, up uh, the Euro Maiden stuff and the stuff in Belarus. But it, it seems more like in the sense that, like, it was definitely something organic. Yeah, and, and it that's, was definitely something that that's people driven, and it's a matter of who's who who has the power here. Is it the people still running this, or has the Western saboteurs 
uh, the Western Saboteur is trying to take it over, but the people are still in control, or have the Western Saboteurs taken it over? And it's okay to not know, and I don't know. Yeah, and I don't think any. I I realistically don't think anybody knows. I mean, this has been a this no. has been a great um, example of people, at least the people I follow on Twitter, doing a pretty good job of going. Look, we're trying to get as much information as we can, but not taking very hard, definite stances yet. And and, and it seems to be the, yeah. the consensus seems to be exactly what you laid out that. Um, that this has at least has organic root like legitimate organic roots uh yeah but the trick to color revs is that they can absolutely start off of something that had legitimate organic roots that's oftentimes where they will get their initial you know they just need an opening to then flood in and do their do their fun little thing yes so paying attention to it usually Oh, I was going to say, usually with color revs, it's very clear they've taken over and they make, like we said, the very political and not very economic demands. It's very obvious. They actually, uh, a lot of times in color revs, it is very obvious who's running it. Um, and it's, it's the Western back, you know, people that are getting drummed up as freedom fighters. Uh, but it's also very weird for something organic for you to not see who's backing it. So this is a little unusual where it's not clear who's leading these protests mm-hmm. in general, and that makes it very difficult to assess. But regardless, I think the best advice you can have then if you're trying to analyze this or if you're trying to just if, if you're keeping an eye on the news coming out of there and, and trying to get a read on it, um, look for the signs, like David was saying, look for, are there a bunch of just a polemic, non-specific demands about tyranny and freedom and democracy and all that kind of crap. Uh, is that coming mm-hmm. out? Um, is, is, does Nexta take a light? Does Nexta keep their involvement going where you have this, you know, Belarusian telegram, YouTube channel? Like if they, if they keep the heavy focus on it and it keep, and it looks like it's going that direction. Okay. That might be another sign that things are, are leaning in a certain direction, but this is definitely yeah. an on at oh. this time. Again, as of recording on, on January 9th, this is definitely an ongoing situation that does not have a lot of answers, but thank you so much for the, the background yeah. and the, the history for that one. I would, I would also say some other stuff to look out for just because of the region too, because this is central Asia, uh, look out for, cause there's two ways the West could go, right? They could go with something. And again, it seems like a lot of the groups that would be in their Eastern European stuff like Belarus or, or, um, Ukraine, Ukraine. if the West is, you know, being the saboteurs that they are. And so you would see the same kind of stuff like you would see in Belarus and Ukraine or, uh, remember, Central Asia is also a region with an immense amount of connection to, you know, Afghanistan and um, Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And so look out for jihadi style stuff, too, because, again, those are very right wing, very in spite of the war on terror. We know they're 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 very Western back um, again. You know, we saw this in, in Xinjiang, right? Um mm-hmm. Well, you know, the, the, where the, the ETIM, um, which, what do they call themselves now? The, the TIP, um, you know, or Western back. So if you start seeing like hearing protesters are, you know, ceremoniously beheading people or doing car bombings, like that's a little different than your average people's uprisings. Although right now, for, for what I've seen is, is mostly gunfighting. So that, that doesn't lean that way at all. So it's, it's a tricky situation. The things that like, to tell people to remember is it's okay to not know and yes. it's okay to gather information and share what you do know uh also regardless of it look out for breathless western coverage right the, when jen saki is is no, saying geez. you know that russia is lying when russia didn't even say shit 
Like, you know, she's just making that up, right? If, and so if someone's fear-mongering about Russia, call that bullshit out. If if Western um, um, papers like Reuters or AP are start talking about authoritarian crackdowns, like, don't don't listen to that breathless Western coverage and call that out for the bullshit that it is. It was, you know, I, think also, my favorite one, I think my favorite one of those was Blinken saying that when, when you get, when the Russians get into your house, it's hard to get them out. It's like, looks around and everywhere. It's just like, yeah what pot have you pot kettle pot kettle exactly exactly i mean look at puerto rico and guam and south korea and hawaii (laughs) yeah i mean just jesus fucking christ um so yeah i mean don't don't fall for that shit also remember that your main concern is not being the up it's best to know as much as possible and get correct as much as possible but your job is not to know anything and everything about anything and everything and take the world's most correct stance in Kazakhstan. It is, what is the effect of the stance? And so since, if again, for our American listeners, if you're in the United States or in a Western country, your best stance, your the importance of your stance is to push against Western imperialism. So if you overdo it, if you like go against a people's movement that you should back, you're not a political party or a country choosing not to weaponize them or give them support or give them aid or something. You're stopping people from eating up bullshit and supporting Western interference and war. It's okay to lean that way and get it wrong. Fuck. Yeah. Well, especially it's- when, especially when a majority of the time, just statistically, a majority of the time, it, it, it does lean that way. It is, it is yeah. important that that is your default position. You are way better wired and have a way better chance at having success at analyzing geopolitics and the things around you and the world around you. If one, you're coming at it from a materialist standpoint. Um, and two, if you just start from the anti-imperialist lens and go from there, you are way more likely to be right and be on the right side of history more often than not. If you lean that way and start that from that from that default position yeah. and then have to get proven wrong. Yeah, we said this before. It's not a perfect rule and it wouldn't be a great rule if we had actual power. But so long as we're our power is within the imperial core and we're fighting against that imperialism, it is better to be wrong against imperialism than exactly right and if you shoot to be to be against imperialism right or wrong you will be right more often than if you shoot to be right because of the tint and the lens that every western outlet is going to filter things through exactly and my last little bit of Kazakhstan trivia uh Evgeny Nabokov uh, goaltender for the uh, San Jose Sharks, who has almost all of their records for goaltending leads. Kazakhstan. There you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> we made it the whole time without making a Borat reference. Go us. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck. Fuck Borat. Fuck Borat. Yeah. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I I know people like the nice jokes and stuff, but I and I'll get with those because they've become an internet thing. The internet owns those now, right? I mean. Yeah. Th- yeah, I, Sasha Bear Cohen does not does not own that. But uh, that being said, David, now starts your two minute timer to talk about COVID because that is the most <laughs> I will let you talk about it. Yeah. Um, so obviously, COVID policy has gotten significantly worse, and and it's becoming increasingly obvious that the federal administration's stance is let everybody die. So mm-hmm. it is important not to romanticize the Trump administration, right? They were just straight up fascists. And again, they did handle COVID better than Biden is now, but that's because they were the ones in powder 
power and it's one big party. So we know better. So it is okay to say like, well, Trump handled it better than Biden, not because Trump is better than Biden. Trump was still in office. It would be handled exactly the same. It's because the passage of time and the capitalist classes learned what they could get away with. Yeah, Trump Trump would have been doing if Trump was in power, he would have been doing the the line of history would not have altered at all. If Biden was in office at at the beginning of this, we'd have likely gotten the exact same policy response because, again, yes, it is not individual parties. It is one big conglomerate, essentially. Yes. Um, And they would have reacted uh, almost exactly the same way because they are exactly the same in almost all respects. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, Democrats are different on language. They're different on some specific issues that I won't call boutique because they do affect the lives of thousands of people. But compared to the overwhelming majority of issues where Democrats and Republicans are the same, they still pale in comparison. And yet we fluff them up as anything and everything that is politics and Incidentally, Democrats are just magically incapable whenever those issues come up. And all of the other issues where they agree, the, all the, the, the parties work the same, right? It is different flavors of the same bullshit. And I'm sorry, I don't want to keep shoveling in that shit. No. Yep. And um, yes, continue. Oh, you and, have one minute. From there. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, sorry. And, and from there, um, so... The uh, Chicago public schools are pushing very hard against the Chicago Teachers Union. The Chicago Teachers Union voted to go to remote classes, right? And the public Chicago public schools has played very dirty since then. They've frozen their health insurance. They have frozen their logins to to prove their employment, which, again, hits their health insurance and and hits them not being able to teach kids remotely. Um, They have just... Every every liberal outlet has gone to the mat against teachers. This is like the biggest wave of of anti teachers union uh, since goddamn you know early Obama waiting for Superman um, you know uh, school voucher shit right charter it's, schools it, they're good. charter schools that's that's the word I'm I'm thinking of like this is the biggest wave I've seen since the charter school shit and of course all of the people getting on and talking about it are people that send their kids to private schools who are remote learning yep. You know, and then they're saying, oh, you you can't do this to our children. It's like, what? You know, I mean, we're seeing numbers now that people forget that COVID is a vascular disease, not a respiratory disease, because it comes off as a respiratory disease. But the reason it can give you blue toes and it can take away your smell and taste, it's a vascular disease, right? So this is something that can give kids, you know, type 1 diabetes. Uh, this is something that can cause uh, permanent disabilities where children are learning to walk again if they ever do from, quote unquote, mild cases of COVID. Because all mild means is you don't have to go into the ICU on a respirator. Also, COVID kills people with and without COVID because when the numbers are low, like when you look at China and you see like the, the deaths are pretty absurdly low. It's because they're shutting down towns. And so they have like 100 cases a day, not like these thousands. But also... The death rate of COVID rises exponentially as cases go up. So, like, if you have 3,000 cases and, like, 200 deaths, and all of a sudden it spikes to 6,000 cases, you're probably not going to have 400 deaths. You're going to have something like 600 deaths because a lot of those deaths are not coming from the COVID itself. They're coming from the fact that the COVID is so intense in order to save people's lives. It eats up all of the ICU and the respirators and the emergency room, and it occupies and bogs down the hospitals from treating anything from COVID to other things such as cardiovascular disease. You know how big heart disease is in the United States and other emergency surgeries and things. And it, it screws up all of the hospital administration, right? And this in the midst of all this, of course, you know, hospitals are 
people are finding out that hospitals are pushing people to go in sick if they're um, asymptomatic. asymptomatic. Yeah. It's like you're going into the ICU or you're going into maternity wards where you have mother and child sick because you're forced to to work uh, or you lose your job that you need to survive on and save other people's lives with. You have to endanger those lives and go in sick and explicitly hand out this disease if you're asymptomatic because the hospital CEOs have decided this. And sure enough, the government is all behind them. Oh, yeah. You know, so this is it's it's a disaster and and we should not fall to like, well, everyone's going to get it like, (laughs) no, you can't just do that to immunocompromised people. Right. You can't just do that to to anyone and everyone that's, you know, unvaccinated, that's under five. You know, no, we have to fight this and find a way to stop this and, and shelter and take it seriously and wear our masks and do everything we can. We also have to realize the difference in masks. Obviously, you know, some people, we can't just have everybody scramble for N95s and and it all be, you know, out of stock, right? But if you can get N95s and, and you are someone as important to have it, that's going to last you several hours in protection versus a cloth mask going to give you a couple hours. You know, so know the difference in the masks and and, you know, try to find some way to the best of your personal ability. Again, personal actions is always going to pale in comparison to concerted organized group action. Uh, But do everything you can to to make sure the N95 masks go to the appropriate people. And of course, if it's beyond your control to do that in any way, then use them as much and best you can. Um, You know, any organization you're in, you know, acquire those and distribute them appropriately. This is very, very important right now. And this is a moment where this is why we do organizing, right? The government isn't going to help us because the government stands for capitalists and capitalists aren't going to help us. They are steadfastly against us. That is their class interest. We have to organize and support each other. And we have to understand and not judge people or, you know, because people are are between this, right? They've been confused by a government that has shown that they've broken their trust or they're immunocompromised or or disabled in some other fashion or, you know, they're children that, that can't get the vaccine, you know, without their parents or because they're under five, right, that are all getting affected by this. And even vaccinated people, you're going to die at a much lower rate. You're going to be hospitalized at a much lower rate, but you can still be vaccinated and boosted and die from this. Yeah. Even as a quote unquote healthy person. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's not it, vaccines are, are going to greatly, greatly increase your odds, but they're not a fix for it. And they're certainly not a fix for spreading. It, no. You know, and, and so we have to have a greater compassion and care for each other. And we have to organize and fight this as best we can in any way we can and and politicize this, you know, make sure that people know the government is not going to help them and we have to help each other. That's exactly what organizing is for, right? Is to show that the capitalists and their government will not help you and educate people politically off of that and do so by actually helping them, by showing them that you will help them, by showing them what that means and why you're helping them through political education. And of course, through that, you're not only going to help the people you care about, but you're going to build the structures that we can replace this system with. 
And that has been David's seven minute, two minute COVID uh, rundown. <laughs> I should Sorry. have known that this was not going to go, but damn it, damn it, I can try sometimes. Um, that being said, let us start uh, with our our reading for the week. Uh, we are starting in, I believe, chapter 11, uh, and we are starting with new Rhodesia investments include mining finance, 45 to 94%, gold, 14 to 45%, diamonds, 9 to 38%, coal, 2.49%, sundry companies, 1.9%. On December 31st, 1962, the market value of these holdings was put at 10 million, 10.5 million pounds, while new Rhodesia investments net assets stood at 12.1 million pounds. As for Anglo-American Corporation, its net assets at the end of 1961 were 114.5 million pounds. New Rhodesia's important block of shares in Consolidated Mine Selection Trust Limited will be increased as a result of the current financial arrangement with Anglo-American, whose own share capital will be augmented from 9 million pounds to 10 million pounds by the creation of another 2 million 10 shilling shares. The complicated links between superficially separate entities are shown by their investments and concerns of common interest. New Rhodesia's major buyings into the Diamond Corporation, Johannesburg Consolidated Investment Company Limited, and Rhodesian Anglo-American Limited tie up closely with Anglo-Americans' activities in the Rhodesias and in the Congo and Portuguese territories. Johannesburg Consolidated is concerned principally with diamonds, copper, gold, and platinum. It also carries on prospecting operations mainly in South Africa and Rhodesia. Its subsidiary companies include, among others, Barnato Brothers Limited and Barnato Holdings Limited, and the two and the important African Asbestos Cement Corporation Limited and associated company Matt Smel. Smelters Party Limited is jointly owned by Rustenburg Platinum Mines Limited and Johnson Mathy and Co. Limited. Johnson and Mathy, a UK firm treating copper, nickel, platinum, and other metals, supervise the erection of plant in the vicinity of Rustenburg to treat part of the product of Matt Smelters. Johannesburg Consolidated's last issue of shares was in 1958 when 600,000 were issued to new Rhodesia investments. Rhodesian Anglo-American has large shareholdings in the leading copper mines of Rhodesia. These direct holdings are swollen by those companies in which it has interest. Thus, a 52.39% interest in the ordinary A stock of Rokana Corporation Limited gives it an added interest of 17.63% in Nachanga Consolidated Copper Mines Limited, in which its direct participation is 21.429%. Through its penetration of Rokana and Nechanga, Rhodesian Anglo-American has an indirect interest in Rhodesia Copper Refineries Limited. Again, its oblique participation in Mufalira Copper Mines via Rokana increases its own participation of 572,213 shares to 13.92%. In Rhodesian Alloys Private Limited, a producer of ferrochrome, it has 263,226 shares. And in Rhodesia Broken Hill Development Co. Limited, 1.4 million stock units. An almost 25% holding of Kanashi Copper Mining Company has been secured by the acquisition of 394,000 shares. Rhodesian Anglo-Americans' direct and indirect participation in Bancroft mines amounts to 24.54%. Rokana gives it an interest in Chibluma Mines Limited, while Rokana, in association with Nachanga, leads it into Kalandini Exploration Limited. A holding of 34,000 shares gives it a substantial purchase into Caspana Minerals Limited, a company carrying out prospecting operations in the western province of Zambia. Nor are other prospecting companies ignored by Rhodesian Anglo-American. 
31.5% of Anglo-American Prospecting Rhodesia Limited has come under its control, and 333,000 shares of Chartered Exploration Limited Iron Coal uh, iron, steel, and coal also come within its range. It owns 596,000 shares in Lumbimi Coal or Areas Limited, holding prospecting rights for coal over an area of approximately 130 square miles in the southern Rhodesian mining district of Balawio. This shareholding gives Rhodesian Anglo-Americans 65% control of Lumbimi, the other 35% belonging to Wanky Colliery. Two million of those of whose shares are in Rhodesian Anglo-American hands. Forty percent gives it a major part of the Iron Duke Mining Co. Limited, and it also has substantial interest in the Rhodesian Irons and Steel Co. Limited. Sundry other interests make Rhodesian Anglo-American a leading controller of Zambia's economic life. Finance and investments are included by, among others, 20% of Rhodesian Acceptances Limited and a half share in Overseas and Rhodesian Investment Co. Limited. Roanglo Mine Services Limited, whose owned wholly owned provides a valuable source of income for administrative and other services. Cement and clay bring it into the building and allied trades through 148,000 shares in Premier Portland Cement Co. Rhodesia Limited and 25% of Clay Products Private Limited. Bancroft Mines seems to provide the richest pickings for the cast iron digestion of the Anglo-American Hydra. This company was formed only in 1953 to take up from the owners of the mineral rights the British South Africa Co. Special grants of mining rights and prospecting rights acquired from Rokana. Capital is authorized at 13 million pounds. The British South Africa company took up 3 million shares. Rokana, 9.5 9, 9, million, and Rhodesian Anglo American, 74,000. There was an interchange of shares with Rokana as well as with, with Rhodesian Anglo American. In 1955, an additional 2 million shares were subscribed for by Anglo American and British South Africa company, who have provided loans of 2 million and 3 million pounds, respectively. David? I like yeah. I- Hey, I was going to say, I like the honest term of the Anglo-American Hydra. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just... <laughs> oh, yeah. And Krub is so poetic sometimes. So, um, Anglo-American, Rhodesian Anglo-American, Nchanga, and Rokana were given an option of three million of Bancroft's ordinary shares up to 31 March 1963. In December 1961, the right was exercised on a million of the shares, of which Rhodesian Anglo-American acquired 400,000. Rhodesian Anglo-American owns capital of seven million pounds, and its consolidated net profit for the year ended in June 1961 of 20.5 million pounds. After providing 11.5 million for taxation, dividends absorbed 5.4 million of it. These tightly braided interests are the special concern of the people of Zambia and Rhodesia, whose existence and fate they dominate. Not for nothing is Mr. Harry Oppenheimer, always back again, back again, uh, <laughs> enlarge his own personal stake through the proposals concerning the share exchange between the Anglo-American and British South Africa. So Oppenheimer's, you know, got shares in basically every company that ever existed, and now he's sloshing them around between these British and American companies. In New Rhodesia Investments, a tributary of British South Africa's tributary, Cecil Holding. By the arrangements, British South Africa will have a wider share of Anglo-Americans' activities through the establishment of a local Rhodesian board for the chartered company under the chairmanship of Sir Frederick Crawford. Sir Frederick Crawford is at present the company's resident director in Rhodesia. As a former governor of Uganda, he brought brought with him his pre-consular experience in the ruling of the natives. So you've got a British... Um, colonizer who was the governor in this colonial 
you know, settler colony in Uganda and ruling over the natives, it says. Yep, just and imagining a generic using- white man in a pith helmet. Yeah, pretty much. And he's bringing that expertise to running this company. So basically, like, he's bringing how to subdue people to with him. Uganda also provides, as local director in Zambia, CPS Allen, until recently permanent undersecretary of state to his prime minister. Thus, our imperialist agents rewarded for their services to their real masters. Opposition to the establishment of the local board was met by British South Africa Company's president, P.V. Emeris Emerus Evans, with the explanation that it will provide a greater degree of autonomy for local management and will strengthen the company's presentation in Zambia. The autonomy and the local management, of course, are other colonizers, as we're seeing in this paragraph. Uh, Mr. Emerus Evans is himself a director of Anglo-American corporations. Oh, a little bit of self-interest there. Not that this isn't dripping with it anyway. As well as Rio Tinto Zinc Corporation Limited. Mr. Emerus Evans Evans carries in the interests of Barclays Bank DCO by his dictate directorship of the bank and a solicitude for Rhodesian development is implicit in his seat on the board of Rhodesian Railways Trust Limited, a British South Africa company subsidiary. His further connection with Oppenheimer's far-flung empire is confirmed by his membership of the London Committee of the Rand Section Corporation Limited. The death of Lord Robbins elevated him from vice presidency to the head of British South Africa Company's board, where among his colleagues were the fate of Sir C.J. Hambro, Harry Oppenheimer, LFA Durangler, and another pro- former pro-counsel, Viscount, Viscount Malvern, who brings them the blessings of Merchant Bank and Central African, Scottish Rhodesian Finance Limited, and the Standard Bank of Africa. So not only are these the same companies over and over, and the same people on the boards over and over, and the same banks over and over, all tied together in this imperialist web, but we've got very explicitly Lord Robbins. We've got the aristocracy in here, too. A good deal of Mr. Emerus Evans' 1962 annual report to the shareholders was devoted to what is described as ill-informed criticism of the group's alleged policy of removing large sums of money from the country while being unwilling to invest in its development. (laughs) Alleged policy. You don't say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Being very gentle with alleged policy there. Uh, The attempt to rebut this criticism by the affirmation that over 10 years the company had invested over $10 million in the territory, an average over a million in a year, would not convince Rhodesian Africans, nor should it, who were well aware that the company received in gross income from its northern Rhodesian copper royalties alone in the year of 1961-62, the sum of £10 million. The taxation goes to the United Kingdom and South Africa, as also do dividends, which for the year of 1959-60 absorbed 4.1 million pounds out of a consolidated net profit of 8.1 million pounds arrived at after writing off almost a million pounds for deprecation of investments over 5.4 million for taxation. So yeah, you can have 10 million in 10 years. We just happen to make, you know, that hand over fist every year through you. Uh, Rhodes' original links with the Rand and Kimberley mines have been knit more closely together by thousand strands with Rhodesia and Zambia than was possible for him to envisage at the time. Though it was his overriding hope and ambition, this interwoven fabric partly provides the hangman's rope that is trying to strangle African independence in the political unification of Africa. So again, opulent exploitation from the very, very, you know, aristocracy, banks, settlers that have always exploited Africa uh, from Rhodes 
uh, to Oppenheimer, um, to basically every bank in every Western imperialist country. Absolutely. And that being said, that will end chapter 11. Uh, we are going to launch here into chapter 12. But again, just another chapter of rehashing a complete, re- doing a, a regional rehash of who are the interested parties? Who are the people that have power? What are their interests? Where are they interconnected? Um, yeah, there's there's been an immense amount of theory that's put forward here. And, and part of theory, especially when you're in materials, is doing the history of things and, and showing the connections. But there's a lot of proofing. And we saw this in Lenin's imperialism. I know we summarized that a little more, but there was a lot of proofing behind the theory and then theory put forth and we kind of saw that in this book too right the the first three or four chapters were dense with theory and the last eight tie back to that but they've been a lot of proofing and the only theory that really comes forth is how intermingled all of these units are that really shows the class in there right you see you know Oppenheimer as CEO or on the board of directors of 12 different companies that have shares in each other and so maybe he's only like CFO of uh, 10% of the holdings of this one African investment, but he's actually on the board of directors of like 90% of it. And, and, yeah. you know, and this, this goes back to Morgan and, and all of them, right? And they, they all branch up and back down. Um, and again, you know, you see the aristocracy, you see this tie, tying back to, uh, to Cecil Rhodes. Um, and so that's kind of put forth in these chapters. But other than that nebulous idea, which is being laid out very, very well, it's basically been a lot of proofing, and I'm sure there'll be more um, analysis-driven theory later on here, but with this run, I'm I'm assuming there's probably going to be a couple more chapters of, of the proofing here, so sorry if this is getting a little dry or a little redundant, but, but that's just it, how it, some of this is. It, it is the nature of reading theory. Sometimes it is not the most yes. exciting thing, but it is all necessary, and it's all important to have on the record. Yeah. That- yeah, and remember, again, even this proofing is theory. If you just read these chapters, it is theory and important theory. It's just more proofing style theory or historical analysis than the you know analysis-driven theory we saw in the first few chapters. Yes. And due to a myriad of technical issues, we are going to call this one a little bit short. Just a little bit. Not much. <laughs> not significant. Yeah. Just a little bit yes. short. And leave off right at chapter 12 for you. Um, and we will pick up directly with chapter 12. Companies and combines. Guys, get ready. There's a uh, There are full page... Uh, flow charts coming up on this next chapter. Full page oh, flow charts. Buddy. Um, lots of yeah, lots of yeah. Pa- at least at least when we're saying like this is proofing level, we're not making you see the flow charts. You there are so going to have to read flow charts. We will have to read flow charts. And let me tell you, they're 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 just going to be riveting. They're going to be exciting they're, as hell. The we're going to do our best to make them <laughs> uh, make them interesting and tie them back as we go. Um, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. Um, if you would like to reach out to us, there are a number of different ways you can do that. The first of which is to reach out to us through email. Our email address is marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. If you wanted to get to us on the hell site, you can reach out to us on Twitter. We are at marksmadnesspod on Twitter. Um, and last but not least, if you wanted a more day to day interaction or just to have a commute, a more communal group of people, like minded people, uh, you can join our Discord server. Our Discord server is the Marks Madness Pod Discord. Um, um, it is linked in our Twitter bio, or you can always email us directly for the for the direct link if you don't want to interact with Twitter, and I don't blame you. Um, Book Club, again, is 
picking up, I believe, this Friday. If you and by this Friday, I this will already be in the future. So, book club has started on what is to be done by Lennon. If you want to hop into that, this is a great time. They are always taking newcomers, and it is a great uh, a great work of theory to read, and it's a great one to read in a group. So that'll be awesome. And yeah, we play Final Fantasy a lot. We play a lot of Final Fantasy. So just you know, if you if, if you just do that too, you come on come on down. Um, that being said, David, it is time as always for the disclaimer. Yeah, so basically, me and Nathan started this. Uh, we started reading Capital. You think these last few chapters of, of you know, theory have been dry? Wait till you read Capital. Oh my God! Uh, but Nathan came up. He was like, uh, "You've read Capital before. We should read this together. This is the kind of work you read together. And anytime you do read history or philosophy, you should read it with someone. And if one person in the room or more has read it before, that's even better." Um, but the reason you do that is so that you can discuss it, better retain it, but make sure you come to an understanding, get other perspectives, tie it back to your life, and understand the context around it. And when me and Nathan were doing that, it was just the two of us, and so we thought, what the hell, you know, we'll record it, because you want your reading group usually to be a little more than two people. And I know that that leaves the input in what we've recorded to us, uh, but we work very hard to make that, that good input as the best we can. Um, and after we recorded a few, we decided, you know what? Let's go forward with that. Let's share this recording. Let's make our reading group more than two. And ever since then, we're so happy you guys have joined us. We've had the vision that hopefully you're out there in some party, in some organization, and you're reading these works along with us. And we can be uh, in that reading group, in that political education group that you're doing in your party and be another voice in that group. Uh, let's say those groups instead are reading something shorter or reading something more directly tied uh, to the works you're putting out there or just on a different work at the time. And you're reading this on your own. Hopefully we can be that reading group. We can help you with that perspective, that context, that retaining um, that tying back to today, um, and, you know, make sure that you get everything you need out of that. Um, and let's say that's not happening. Let's say, you know, it's either a work that we do summarize, uh, like the aforementioned capital, uh, or it's a work like this where we get a little more in depth and read it word for word and become more of an enhanced ebook. Whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you, because we want this theory out there guiding your action. Because when you put that theory into action, it's a phenomenon called praxis. Uh, that includes, you know, aid uh, to those in need, mutual aid, which is a construction of people helping each other based on their own skills uh, so that you can build systems to replace the systems out there. Uh, political education of your own to people because that's what you really should be doing, right? You should be showing people uh, not only that the system is broken, which they start to sense, but you make that very clear that it's the system broken, not just bad actors. Uh, but you get to show how the system is broken, why the system is broken, and what to do about that. And you get to do that while helping out the people that you intend to help and liberate in the first place and helping them gain the ability to share and participate in the own, their own political action from there and build the systems to replace these systems. And all of that is called praxis. And without theory guiding your praxis, it by definition isn't praxis. It can't exist. And without the praxis, the theory means nothing. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name is David. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.